Welcome to the Project Unchained podcast, where my special guests and I help you break free from the chains that hold you back from life's greatest experiences. The goal of this podcast is to educate people on self-care modalities that can and will improve your life if you commit to doing them. An effective self-care regimen is the single most important thing that you can do for yourself to have a more extraordinary life experience. I'm your host, Ross Leppola, and I've spent the past several years of my life on a journey of healing and self-care after living my first 28 years chained down by my own limiting thoughts and beliefs. Now, I'm here to share what I've learned with you to empower you to break free from the chains that hold you back from your unlimited potential. Let's get unchained. When you were lost in the woods, you were misunderstood by everyone, everyone. You were searching for words, but they came out absurd. And no one heard you, no one heard you speak your Hey, what's up, y'all? Welcome back to the Project Unchained podcast. I'm your host, Ross Leppola. Today is a very special episode. I'm super excited. I have my cousin Galen Lee on the show. If you've paid attention, Galen is the creator of Lost in the Woods, which is the intro and outro song to this podcast. So I'm super excited to get her on the show. It's been one of those ones that I have wanted to do for a long time. And finally, we finally made it happen. So I'm super excited. Galen's faced some adversity that most people wouldn't be able to even comprehend. She's faced some significant physical limitations her entire life. She's been in a wheelchair her entire life, yet she goes out into life and does amazing things, creates amazing opportunities for herself, and is just a a beacon of light in this world. And as I alluded to in the show with her, I always really enjoyed when our families would get together. She's a little bit more extended family, so I didn't see her at all the holidays. But when we did get together, the room was always brighter when she came in. And so she is just a, a beacon of light in this world. I'm super excited to bring her on the show and talk with her and how she can be this radiant human being in the face of the adversity that she's had to face. So I'm excited to share some of her story with you all. And if you've never heard of Galen, please do check out her music. She is such a very talented musician. I absolutely love her music. A couple of years back, she was here in Atlanta and we got to go visit and watch her perform live. And it was just absolutely amazing. It was so cool. I was so excited and really glad, really grateful that I got to see her live. And I hope to do that again. So if you're in the Duluth, Minnesota area or you ever see her out on tour, please do go check it out. It's really amazing. Check out her music. I got links in the show note. If you want to reach out and get in touch with her, I got links in the show note. She does public speaking and other different things. Check out her website. Special announcement as well. Uh, This last week, I, well, I suppose at the time of this recording this last week, I, I released Project Unchained on YouTube. It's a lot of similar content but it's shorter form and it's video format just to do something a little different. Check that out if you're interested. And the link in the show notes as well to the seven days of belonging is an email sequence to help you cultivate an internal sense of belonging so that you can be grounded and connected with yourself so that you have that power and that confidence and that belief in yourself to go do, be, and create the things that really add value to your life. Enough rambling about me. 
Let's get into the interview. Without further ado, Galen Lee, y'all. All right. Galen, my wonderful cousin, thank you so much for joining me today on Project Unchained podcast. I'm super grateful for you to join us, and I, I'm excited to get to chat with you again. It's been a while. Yeah, it has. And thanks for having me. I was really excited that we got reconnected in this way, because it's not what I was expecting. It's cool. Yeah, definitely. Well, why don't we start out like I know who you are, but maybe a lot of people listening won't necessarily know who you are. So let's just uh, start there and give a little introduction about who Galen Lee is. Yeah. Um, well, my name is Galen Lee, and I am a violinist and a songwriter, composer, musician from Duluth, um, Minnesota. And um, my family still lives here for the most part around Minnesota and um, married to my husband, Paul. And in addition to performing, I do a lot of public speaking um, about accessibility in the arts. Um, I have a disability, so I use an electric wheelchair and I have for my whole life, basically. Um, and so making the music industry more accessible is something I really care about. Um, in 2016, I won NPR Music's Tiny Desk Contest, which was a big honor and a huge surprise. Like I entered it with no expectations at all about winning something like that. Um, but it was a national contest, so it kind of jump-started a touring career. So I did a lot of touring, and that's where I kind of started learning about the barriers um, facing disabled artists in a way that was bigger than just me. Um, so those are kind of the two main things I do. Um, and, you know, I love playing music, obviously, and, um, you know, like business coaching and self-help and entrepreneurship, all the things that you love um, are really fun for me, too. And so um, that's kind of where our interests uh, intersect, I think. Right. Yeah, definitely. So... To, to encapsulate, you've lived your life in a wheelchair. Yes. What is that from? Oh, yeah. It is. Uh, my disability specifically is called osteogenesis imperfecta. It means brittle bones disease. Um, and so when I was, before I was born, I broke a bunch of bones in utero, but they were already healed by the time I was born. So my limbs are a little bit bent, um, my arms and legs. And then after I was born, I broke bones like, you know, every year or so, maybe twice a year for a while there. I haven't actually broken a bone for almost 10 years. So it's been a long time. So now it's more just that I live, um, I get around using my wheelchair and obviously need help to do things like traveling and alone and stuff like that. And so my husband and I kind of partner up in that way too, where he helps me kind of do the day-to-day -day stuff. Um, but luckily, it's been a pretty stable road for a while here. I mean, it's really different. The people who have this disability, it varies a lot. It can be a very minor, uh, like in my case, where you break stuff occasionally, or you can break it really frequently. So um, I happen to have a case that is severe in the sense that I have uh, limb deformities because of it, but then not severe in the case that my daily life largely is pretty stable unless something goes wrong, right. <laughs> which I mean, it's true for anyone. Right. But um, sure. in my case, that is a specific concern, obviously. Yeah. And potentially pretty 
detrimental to your flow of life. Oh yeah, definitely changes things. I mean, that's, that's the thing is disability is interesting and we'll get into this more later, I'm sure, but it's not, um, you know, it depends on how you look at it. To me, it's, um, just kind of the body that I was born in and I don't see it as like inherently harder. The things that are harder are, um, your society's not very well equipped, right? So things aren't accessible and stuff. But in terms of like injury, all of us actually are living the day-to-day, like one potential moment away from like a completely different form of existence. It's just not very visible um, to people who, you know, are non-disabled. But if you're disabled, then you kind of know like your body is, uh, you know, really variable to change and, and vulnerable. I mean, so is everybody's, but we just don't think of it like that. So, um, so you grow up with a, an, an awareness, I think of your own mortality, maybe at a younger age when you're disabled than you would, um, if you weren't, but, um, yeah, so that's kind of how, how my disability has played out. Um, but it could change. I mean, that's the thing is I think when I get older, the older you get, you start to break bones more often again. So there's this kind of like golden period in the middle where things are pretty stable. And then as you go through like menopause and all that stuff, like things change again. So I'm curious, uh, you know, I'm trying to stay healthy for that reason right. to kind of stay as healthy as I can, as long as I can, just because who knows what the future holds for, for any sure. of us, right? For sure. For sure. I always recall my mom would mention when we would talk about you and what you had to deal with. And I always forget the the name of the disease, but the, the brittle bone disease and what that, how that impacted you and growing up. And the thing that you just said was, was interesting because I always recall her saying that uh, I, I recall the idea that you weren't supposed to live past the age of two. And here you they are. They might now. have told them that at one point. Yeah, the doctors might have at the very beginning said that. Right, but here you are now. You're you were born in eighty three, correct? Eighty four. Yeah. Eighty four. Early okay. eighty four. January of eighty four. Gotcha. Okay, so that's a month before me. I thought it was. I thought you were a year before me. Anyway. No. But yeah, yeah. then here you are now, almost uh, on the eve of your fortieth birthday, basically your, your last year <laughs> in the thirtieth decade. <laughs> yep. In uh, I mean, you're, you're doing amazing things in life. You're creating amazing music and producing amazing music. But what is that, what is that idea of the mortality? What is that? How has that impacted like your view of life and death? Yeah. Well, the doctor thing, that's funny that they said that. Cause I think, oh, there's so many issues to unpack in a story like that because um, you know, the medical industry is surprisingly slow at embracing different kinds of bodies, right? Like, like, um, I, the, you know, you can kind of love and hate the medical industry because on some hand, obviously I've benefited a lot. Like I have a wheelchair that I can use. They've, I've had a couple of health scares that they obviously got me through. And so it's not like I'm like, oh, I hate all doctors or anything. Right. So that's not what I'm saying. But there is this understanding or like a, a pervasive idea that if your body isn't normal, that there's something wrong with it and that it needs to be fixed. And that is not really how most 
disabled people feel. Like I'm fine with, I, I actually chose not to have the surgeries that would have straightened my arms and legs because I was like, I don't want to give up four summer vacations because they were going to do one arm and one leg at a time. And I, and I was like, that's, I just don't care that much. Like, but so, but let me get back to what I was saying is I think sometimes on accident, doctors paint, um, a picture of disability as being like, she'll never live past two or she'll, she'll have a really hard life. And that's what they tell the parents. And sometimes that's true, obviously. Right. But in my case, my parents knew really early on that that doctor obviously was not correct. Like, um, they told my parents that when I first came home that I had to be carried around on eggshell foam, which I mean, some babies with OI do. So they were being cautious. They were really being careful. Um, but as my dad got to know me better, it was like, well, she's not, I mean, that's not the case for this kid. So, um, so as we kind of, as I grew in some way, um, you just kind of have to test it out. And unfortunately, like there's some harmful things I think that happen when a doctor tells a parent, there's no way they're going to live past two because oftentimes kids do live past two. (laughs) And, and so I, I have mixed, mixed feelings about that, but I get what you're saying. And for me, I think mortality sunk in a little later. Um, I ended up having like a respiratory thing. So the one thing about OI besides your bones is that often your lungs are really compressed, you know, cause I'm smaller. So I don't have a lot of room for my lungs and they still don't really know why, but I had some sort of infection that came on really suddenly and I almost died. And then I didn't, but the first doctor told my mom I was going to die. And, um, and my, luckily, she was like, she's 21. What are you talking about? So um, she got a second opinion and they tried prednisone and I miraculously recovered. And But that was a very scary experience because you kind of realize, like, if my mom hadn't gotten a second opinion, I don't know what would have happened. And right. so I think I think what it has taught me is that you there's a few things like the first is that you really don't know what the future holds. And I don't think it should make you live in fear or anything, but it should motivate you to like want to do a good job with what you are, what you have been given. Right. And then the other thing is that I think just on a broader sense about disability, this is an analogy I just came up with like a month ago in my head, but like if you look at art, right you see art all around you and people make it out of different things. Like some people make art out of seashells or broken glass or garbage even, right? You make art out of all sorts of things and they're all, they're all art, right? And I think the human life in a weird way is its own form of art. And it's not for us to say like, oh, that person was born in this kind of body. Therefore their life will not be creative and artistic or, it won't be beautiful in some way. It's like we all are born with these raw materials. I mean, you and I have different challenges probably. Like, um, I know like I also have some mental health issues that I've had to work through largely because of medical trauma. Like I had a lot of anxiety after that uh, respiratory thing. And it took me a long time to get back to like feeling good again after that, uh, the anxiety part of it. Um, But I think like the idea that we all have these raw materials and it might seem harder and maybe on some level it is trickier to build something beautiful out of different raw materials that aren't as highly prized in society. But I think it's not for us to determine. Like I think anyone can make 
a beautiful and creative life out of any raw material, like literally any, because that's what art is, right? Yeah. And I think humans, the art of living is not like a, that's not like a trite saying. That's like a real thing. So, I, yeah, it's kind of a rant, I guess. But I think for me, mortality and arts are tied up in each other because you have this limited time to make something beautiful out of whatever it is, the situation you're in. Um, and so how do you do that? And I'm not saying I'm good at it all the time, but like that is what motivates me. I, I feel very yeah. motivated by that, I guess. I love that analogy uh, a lot. Uh, one, one, I love analogies in the first place because they help me conceptualize <laughs> things. So I, I yep. often try to figure out an analogy for different things. The, the second part or why I really like that too, is I've been consuming a lot of Eckhart Tolle work in the past couple of years. Oh, yeah. Have you ever yep. consumed any of his stuff? I have consumed snippets, but I know I need to do more. Like every time I read anything, I'm like, why don't I read more of this? So right. yes, I, that encourages me to yeah. actually, I have one of his books. I haven't finished it yet. Gotcha. It, it's good. And, and in, in a nutshell, <laughs> one of the biggest things that he talks about is acceptance and acceptance of what is, because the only way that you can be present in the moment and enjoy the moment in life is through accepting what is. And so any hardship that we face most of the time is, is really just a lack of accepting of what it is in the moment. And so mm-hmm. like, that's totally I, true. I, that's one of the things that I hear and like, and want to point out and celebrate for a minute is your acceptance of like the, the raw materials to, at which to create for your canvas of life. You, mm-hmm. Like, even though you had the opportunity to pen, potentially go through some corrective surgeries, you chose the raw materials. You chose to accept what is and and go with it and go forward and create from that space and that place. And I, I really want to celebrate and appreciate that because I think in so many different ways across our society, we deny the acceptance of what is in ourselves and try to change it in a bunch mm-hmm. of different ways. And we're not ever going to have self-acceptance through changing ourselves. I don't think that you yeah. can like at its core get to that point. You might be able to not hate on yourself, but I don't think that changing yourself creates that acceptance. Yeah. Especially if it's like, so I was talking to my business coach about this the other day. Like I'm a night owl, like a real one, like I have been forever. Right. And um, and it's kind of a frustrating trait because my husband's not really as much a night owl and and just generally like society functions <laughs> during the day. Right. And and so you're kind of off schedule with everyone else. Or like this is the first thing I'm doing today is this. You know what I mean? Like gotcha. that I I work in the afternoons and the evenings. And so I was talking to her about how I'm so frustrated that I can't just get on a regular schedule. And she's like, you know, I think it would make more sense to just admit that that is how you work and just work in those parameters because you're probably going to spend the rest of your life fighting this idea that you have to move your sleep schedule up and and it's going to be frustrating. And it's so funny that even if I can accept on a grander scale, because I think I have in the grander scheme, like I accept that this is the body I was born into, but then there's still always places where we hold on to these ideas that are maybe not helping us. Like, you know, I'm trying to shift my sleep schedule as small as that is 
it's like, well, why? Like, I mean, you know, a, a lot of it is, you know, fitting in with the rest of society. And I've, I do think that most of the time that's just not a good motivation for doing something like fitting in almost always is, it's not like you shouldn't respect or care or be engaged in your society because I think that's really, really important. But the idea that you change yourself to fit a mold um, just usually doesn't work, but sometimes we miss it. I like, it's funny that you talk about this and then I'm thinking of something as simple as my sleep schedule rejecting it, rejecting it, rejecting it until you finally say, oh, she's right. I should just accept who I am. So what I started doing this week is working um, at night a few days a week, like letting myself actually work. And it feels great. (laughs) Like, yeah, life is, it's funny because we're all kind of inconsistent in some ways and just making peace with that too. You know, that in some ways we've got it figured out in this area and then in this area of life, we're still struggling and just kind of being okay with growing at a pace you know i love growth so that's the thing is i want to accept myself um but i do love you know growing too and i you know i think it's just the mindset like how are you doing it and why are important to think about right yeah for sure and i think a part of growth though to point out and hit on is to me like is that acceptance because there's so many things like you you're you're in this position where you think oh i need to work a not necessarily a 9 to 5 job but operate during those hours because those are the hours that the majority of society operate in but i think growth can oftentimes also be just getting in touch with your own authentic rhythms and it mm-hmm. doesn't necessarily have to be growth through through change more through growth through acceptance actually that's a good point cuz that's what i'm doing right like it's not like I'm actually, yeah, that is smart, smart, smart. Good thinking, good thinking. <laughs> right. Yeah. But again, I totally get how sometimes that can be that can be difficult. But I would point out or add one more thing to that too. I've there's been a few things and I forget there was even a, a test online that you could take that would help you understand like the hours at which you operate at your like most optimal times yeah. of the day. And they talk about that, like they're sure the majority of like people generally operate the best through like the middle of the day when the sun's up and sleep the best when the sun's down. But there are definitely people that operate on a different schedule and it's all on your own circadian rhythm. And if that's different, then embrace it. Yeah, no, it's true. My like peak hours of concentration and and like focus and stuff are basically like seven to midnight, like that, like any the evening, like and probably <laughs> it helps because as a musician, you know that's when I'm playing my shows and that's Definitely. when I'm you know recording and all that kind of stuff. So it makes sense to me, but um, just kind of learning to accept it is you know part of the process. Right. Yeah. Definitely. So you mentioned going through some mental health struggles. Yeah. From going through some different medical treatments and having some hardships with, with that. What, uh, what, let's go, let's dive in on that. What, what were you, what did you experience and and how did you kind of navigate some of that? Yeah. Well, my mental health, uh, issues, there's kind of like two big chapters. Um, 
towards the end of high school, I think I started experiencing depression, but I didn't have a name for it for a really long time, for like three or four years. So I would like cry a lot and like just was very up and down and hard to motivate yourself and wanted to sleep a lot and just didn't really have a name for it. And so finally, when things were really low um, in my junior year of college, I suppose, um, and it, and I guess, yeah, they got really low after that respiratory thing. So like things really kind of bottomed out then, but I had been struggling with that for a while. Um, my roommate actually had just started, my college roommate had just started going to counseling and she was saying she has that got diagnosed with depression and, and, you know, have you ever thought about talking to someone? Cause it was very obvious to everyone else, but me that I was depressed and, I was like, I don't know. I don't know. And I finally went into the counselor and we sat and talked for a while. And she's like, okay, I think you have depression. And I was like, no, it's just a rough, you know, like that was just a really stressful summer, blah, blah, blah. And she's like, look here at this list of nine symptoms of depression. And you have eight of them. (laughs) Like you really do have depression. (laughs) And it took me a while to like acknowledge that or like wrap my mind around it and um so right during college I ended up you know um getting on a low dose of antidepressants which really helped I mean like I don't think I would have graduated college if I hadn't figured this out because it like what I felt like is I was starting every day way behind the starting line and just to get to the starting line was like half of my mental energy. And then I just felt behind everyone all the time. And that's what depression felt like to me. So then um, I remember taking the antidepressants and about six weeks in, she said, you might notice something you might not, you know, and about six weeks in, I realized it had been a whole week since I had cried. And I was like, wow, (laughs) like, I can't even remember the, like, you know what I mean? I felt like the way I felt as a younger adult, like, you know, like earlier high school, when I wasn't depressed, I was I mean, I'm generally a pretty happy person. Um, And I remember just being like, oh, that's what I feel like again. That's cool. So I was on those antidepressants for a while. And then, um, and that helped kind of get through that, that rough patch of anxiety. Um, But then trying to think when it happened again, there was another medical scare, um, Like, I had a surgery that didn't go very well. I mean, it went well, but then I had some, like, um, lingering health issues. Like, it was a bladder infection that turned into, like, me gaining a ton of water weight. It was just a very weird, fluky thing, and I ended up having heart palpitations because all my electrolytes got out of balance or whatever. And so um, that was very scary, and I remember being anxious again then. and my anxiety kind of manifests as like, I worry about every health issue. It's like health anxiety, basically, mm-hmm. which makes sense because someone with my with my background who's had various health issues, um, that's where my brain goes when I get anxious. And so I know, but I knew more this time. So like, because I, I had gone through um, counseling when I was on those antidepressants, I was also going to counseling and I, I wasn't going regularly anymore, but I knew like, oh, when I start getting on WebMD, that is a sign that I am not doing very well. And, right. and like, you know, kind of ruminating and obsessing about stuff. And so I got back in touch with the same counselor I had worked with before. Um, and she was available and got back into counseling. And it took less 
time, I think, to kind of find homeostasis. Um, and, and that's sort of where I think, at least as far as I understand it, that I will be probably forever. Like, you know, like you can kind of get yourself into a place where you're pretty good. And I still actually meet with my counselor about once a month just to kind of check in and talk through anything that's going on. Um, but the, like, the really, when it gets really hard, I think the the hugest thing is to just notice the red flags early enough where it doesn't have to, like, really bottom out. Like, I ended up, during that first period when I was really anxious after the respiratory failure and super depressed, I ended up having to withdraw from school so I wouldn't fail because, like, I was not doing well in my classes. And I, and they don't have a lot of options. Like, one thing about college is they don't have a lot of options for people going through rough times right there's no pause button right it's like either you withdraw or you fail everything so I withdrew and that's when I moved back to Duluth and um, eventually ended up meeting my husband so I never ended up finishing um, at McAllister in St. Paul that's where I had started okay Um, but but it you know it had gotten really bad so it was a it was a really hard time but then in retrospect I I learned a lot in that period and kind of learned to see the signs of, you know, because anxiety and depression, I feel like are two sides of the same coin, kind of like they, they can be really close to each other. And I feel like I'll probably always have to gauge, you know, during the pandemic, I was, um, held up pretty well, surprisingly, but there was a while there where I could tell like depression was setting in. And so then, you know, I got counseling right away. Counseling has so far been enough to kind of rebalance because i don't know about you because i'm not actually sure of your mental health journey um but like for me sleep and diet are huge and so even if it's just a counselor being like okay you have to you have to get more sleep um i mean even that is like a really helpful change and i think that's um always gonna be the fact like i can't really go more than a couple nights without getting decent sleep because I, my mental health is really tied to that for sure. Definitely. Um, so anyways, what, I don't know. Yeah. What are, I, I'm not sure exactly of your own journey, but um, I don't know if you've noticed it being like peaks and valleys, but I do feel like for me, it kind of like, depending on what's happening in life, um, it's more of an issue or less of an issue. Um, I'll probably always be like low level anxious because that's just kind of who I am. And I can accept that. But like, when it starts to get in the way of stuff, that's when you notice, oh, I better I better right. do something to, like, right the ship enough to keep going forward. You know what I mean? Right, right. So for you, it's just kind of more general anxiety and, and worry. And the, the counseling helps keep you kind of centered and grounded to, to do the things that keep that from getting out of control. Yeah, I think that that, you know, the, the first – big round with depression and anxiety at the same time that was a little more intense and that's why yeah I went on the antidepressants and and kept going to counseling but yeah since then I feel like um yeah a lot of it has been about keeping myself balanced so that I don't go off the cliff in that way you know what I mean like yeah um yeah and that's been um you know and a big part of it too is learning those techniques of like what's the, you know, instead of jumping to worst case scenarios. Cause yeah, that's something I, I definitely do like thinking of all the, 
possibilities. And then the other thing, which I mean, I don't know if this has helped you at all, but remembering that you've been in this place before and then like how, you know, um, like, you know, if I'm feeling anxious about something, thinking like, have I ever experienced this before? Oh yeah, I have. And this is what happened. And like kind of, instead of just feeling isolated all the time, remembering that you've gotten through this before and that, or you've dealt with these symptoms before and this, and it all turned out and like just kind of allowing yourself to have a wider view of what's happening. Right. I think anxiety and depression, but especially for me, anxiety kind of like sucks you into your own head right. and you need to be able to get out of that in order to kind of let go of some of that tension. Does that make sense? Totally. Totally makes sense. Uh, as a, as a, as a person who likes to think and be analytical and, I can definitely have a tendency to get in my head and stay in my head and overthink. And that's, you know, if, uh, if I do too much of that, I can definitely get anxious. And the biggest thing for me is to just remember that you're the reminder that whatever it is that I'm thinking about and getting anxious about is not real. It's a perceived (laughs) event. It's an event that I'm making Mm -hmm. up in my head. It's not actually happening or happened yet. Yeah. Is it possible? Yep. Yes. But there is, then that also means there are other possibilities. So to sit mm-hmm. here and, and work myself up isn't going to benefit me. What will benefit me is to breathe and get out of my head and get back into my body and reground and recenter and focus on the things that I can do and I can control, which are, you know, the way that I interact and participate in the events and in life. Mm-hmm. Totally. And that's, and that's the big one for me. Yeah. No, that's awesome. Yeah. And, and like, I don't know. I mean, this is a little broader than like mental illness or like mental health. But one thing that I have done over the last like six or seven years that I really think has helped in a lot of different areas of life is I do, you know, I see my counselor if I need to, but I also have a business coach. And like, as weird as that sounds, like having having a team or like a, a group, you know, a small group of people who are there to kind of help you get outside of your head and maybe think of solutions you hadn't thought of. Um, I just think both of them, both of those two people have been really, really, really helpful. Um, not, you know, because like a business coach, eventually it's going to be like, well, if you're, if you're not getting enough sleep or you're not eating well, then, you know, that if, I mean, it all kind of connects like your, yeah. your emotional, physical and, and entrepreneurial selves all do, I mean, it's, it's all you, right? So it's important, like helping you think of all the layers. Um, so yeah, I've gotten a lot of help from them. I know what makes me sad in our culture is that I think counseling has a lot of stigma still, which is so sad to me because I freaking, I just love my, my counselor. Like, I mean, a lot of times now it's mostly just like checking in and, and sometimes it's about like, well, what kind of changes, like, you know, the sleep schedule that was, that was, you know, something that comes out of like a counseling session or whatever, a business coaching session, but all of those, I don't know, just having somebody to talk through stuff with is huge and um, men I don't know if you've noticed this but I feel like it's been harder to convince my men friends to go talk to someone and it's like 
Um, because I think there's this idea that there's something wrong with you or they're going to, they're going to make you divulge stuff you don't want to divulge. But in reality, it's just kind of like, for me, like having a strategist help you strategize. It's like a, I mean, even in counseling, you know, um, here's a problem I'm having and I can't figure out how to look at it any differently and get into a different path. And that's, that's what she's done. Like, I don't, I wouldn't, I don't know if I've ever talked about this, but I never would have gotten into music full time if it wasn't for my psychologist, wow. because I was really unhappy. I was doing insurance and I was like feeling a lot of angst. Cause like, it wasn't really what I wanted to do. Yeah. Um, but I was too scared to talk to my boss and tell him like I wanted, cause he had given me a really good opportunity to like build my own business. And I felt really grateful to him and I didn't want to like, Basically, I hurt his feelings ultimately, right? But I knew that I kind of wanted to teach fiddle lessons. That's where I started um, when I did music for a living. It was teaching fiddle. And my counselor, like, coached me on, like, here's how you have a difficult conversation and, like, play out the scenario if you don't quit and, like, what happens if you do quit. Like, like, like that seems like not mental health, but it is because eventually it affects your mental health to not be doing what you love. And so... I I mean, I owe a lot to her to, like, making decisions differently than I would have on my own, I think. So yeah, I just can't say speak highly enough of getting counseling. I wish that our country made it easier for people to afford. I agree. That's the real, that's, that's the mega bummer of it all, is it's not super accessible to people. I agree. Always. But there's online counseling now, which at least is, like, a little bit more affordable. And since the pandemic, I've been meeting with mine online anyways right. so like she just went all online because it was like you can it's just easier so that's what we do so. yeah no i agree it's it's definitely unfortunate that our society doesn't place a greater <laughs> emphasis on that it you know, know. The, the two things that i think are important to highlight in a moment like this uh i think it's julie jenny that stated this that if you don't make time for your wellness you'll be forced to make time for your illness uh-huh and yeah i look at it as there's it, it's a tripod your well-being is physical, yep. mental, and spiritual. And if yep. you neglect any one of those three, the stool is going to fall over. And that's a good way. Of, I like that analogy. Yep. Yeah. And then the other thing that I look at: every great athlete, great performer, musician, like all of those, like people that have like reached the pinnacle of their sporting performance, their music career, things of that nature. Every single one of them has had a team of coaches that have worked with them yeah. to develop their skill set. So I look at it as if an athlete needs a team of coaches to be and reach the pinnacle of their sport, so does a person need yep. that team, whether it be a team of coaches, counselors, uh, like a core circle group of friends that can hold you accountable, whatever it is, every human being to reach your like potential of pinnacle performance or achievement of purpose and meaning, whatever it is, you need a team of people too. And yeah, unfortunately, most of us don't do that. Most of us just have friends and friends are not mm -hmm. that same circle. Most friends are <laughs> most friends these days end up being not in that level, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah, that's I mean, I love the idea of the 
thinking of it as like an athlete or whatever. Because you, yeah, if you have a goal or a dream, or even if you're just a person and you want to be the best kind of partner or parents or whatever it is, I think having that team is huge. Another thing I've done and that I don't know, you know, again, everybody's coming from such different places financially, but this has been a pretty affordable thing that I have done is once a year. It's like a dollar a day, basically. So it's like a one payment, but there's a thing called growth day by a, by a writer named Brendan Burchard. Okay. And I subscribe to that because every day he puts on like 10 to 20 minutes of like personal development stuff. And, and the thing I like about him is he clearly subscribes to the podcast or the, the tripod idea. Right. Like he, it's not business, like finance coaching. It's, and it's not all practical. Like there's elements of all three, you know, mental, spiritual, physical, um, in there. And I think that that, that has really helped me because even in times where I don't have like a circle, like I have one friend, a good friend who's kind of in the same boat. She's a creative entrepreneur and we can kind of hold each other accountable and talk through things. But I, I agree with you. Most of your friends are not going to be into that. Right. Like most of your friends are not going to be like, let's talk about our, you know, our food choices and how they're affecting our bodies. Not everybody's going to be into that. So um, what I've liked about those is it's just like 20 minutes a day and I listen to it while I work out. And by the end, you just feel like uplifted. So even, I mean, you can do it without a formal counselor, I guess, but I, but I would hate to hear, you know, that people don't get that group because they're afraid of feeling judged or whatever it is. Like that's definitely finances aside. Um, it's okay to be vulnerable and like talk to someone and like get support. That's, that's the main thing that I, that I want to get out there is that it's not nothing. You are not broken. If you get counseling, you're taking responsibility for this life that you have and you're trying to do a a good service with it. Right. And so I think the broken idea is what I want to get out of, get away from that. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I totally agree. I totally agree. And I, that's one of the core intentions of this podcast is to lead by example and be vulnerable. Cool. And yeah, you know, I, we're at, I'm at, it's at, uh, I think this will be episode 62. Wow. Somewhere in there. Great. I mean, most, a lot of people don't know how often I cry when I, when I record an episode, but there's times where I hit feelings that I gotta, I gotta hit pause and take a moment for myself. Yeah. And that's like, so cool to hear though, that you're willing to do that. Like that's really big. For sure. It, in all honesty, it's one of those things that's, it's scary to be vulnerable, but once you do it, I mean, and that's one thing that I've realized that I, I didn't quite realize as much until I got into the, into making the podcast as much. But when I have those moments and I, and I speak them and I cry, I'm letting them go and I'm Uh stop carrying that shit with me. And so then I get an upgrade and I'm like, oh man, I feel lighter. All right, let's go. Cause when I'm lighter, now I can do more of the things that I want to do being create rather than carry around the old baggage. It's huge. Yeah. You're totally a hundred percent right. Like, yeah, that's exactly how it feels. Like I, I remember maybe like a month ago or two months ago, I was in a counseling session and something came up and I started to get kind of upset. And she's like, I know it sounds cheesy, but 
you don't get through it until you go, like go through it, like just keep mm-hmm. going. And it was weird because by the end, I mean, I knew she was right. So I like, we talked it out and I cried and, you know, it was all the, all the emotions came up and talked through it all the way to the end. But yeah, by the end of that call, I felt so good. It was weird. I was like, okay, that she's totally right. Like it's, it's easy to want to avoid negative emotions or hard thoughts and we do a pretty good job of that now that all we have to do is like reach for our phones or whatever yeah. like um but but ultimately yeah you get so much more out of going through it um in a caring space obviously not with like someone who's not helpful but right. for sure um yeah for sure yeah but yeah it was amazing like how much better i felt after that call i was like oh i didn't realize how much that was bothering me until I talked about it, you know what I mean? And so, yeah, it's been a, it's been interesting to see that in real time. I know what you mean. Yep. That's where I, I really like the phrase suppression is depression and we can't sit there Ooh. and hold on to it. We have to express it in a healthy way, not just yep. project it and vomit it all over somebody that's not listening. And at the <clears> same <throat> time to stop complaining, because what I think about with complaining is the repeated expression of it rather than expressing it to put it down and leave it there. But if you express it and hold on to it and just complain all the time, well, then you're not actually letting it go. Yep. Yep. I, I think about that in my own life and, you know, that if you're not actually going to do something about it, <laughs> like it's probably not, or if it's not going to, yeah, if you, if there's nothing you can do about it and you're not, there's nothing you're able to change or willing to change about it, then complaining is definitely not going to make you feel better in the end. You know what I mean? For sure. It just, it just doesn't help. Yeah. Thinking about it like that too, like you've spent your life with physical limitations that most people wouldn't even be able to begin to comprehend and have had to endure a, a, a lot of different medical hardships along the way. Yet, uh, particularly from my perspective and what I've seen and all the times that I've gotten to see you at different family gatherings, uh, the getting to see you play here in Atlanta a couple of years ago, every time I see you, you are always just a bright ray of sunshine to be around and you light up the room and it's fantastic. It, I always, I, I remember recognizing that for the first time when I was just younger, I was like, man, Galen always lights up the room when she comes in. It's so cool. I love when we get when like, cause we're more extended family. So I was like, we don't yeah. get to see you that often. And I'm like, I love when we get yeah. together with the extended family. Cause then Galen comes in and the room just, it's just better. Oh, cool. Thank you. <laughs> for sure. What would, <laughs> what would you, I don't, I'm not sure how to, how to ask it. Um, what would you characterize as like being the thing that allows you to be in that state? Maybe you're not even aware of it. Maybe you don't see that the way I see it. Well, um, you know, I mean, part of it is probably like your disposition. Like my parents are pretty cheerful as you know. Yep. Right. And like, um, and they raised us in a, in a really supportive environment. I think parenting is probably one of the biggest jobs anyone can ever do because it matters so much for how, you know, it's 
not like, oh, you're going to get it wrong and then your kid's going to suck. That's not what I'm saying. But I'm saying like <laughs> having a truly supportive parent, even if they're not necessarily like nailing it all the time, just having support and love, I think is so important. So they gave me that. And, um, and you know, we had a really good childhood in that way that like the house that we grew up in was very, very supportive right. um, and loving. And then I think part of it is just like, I, and I don't know, I think it can be learned. So this is why I'm going to say it is I, I really think it's important to acknowledge when you see something that's cool. Like if something makes you happy to have gratitude for yes. it and point it out and call it out, you know, like, um, I think that's something like I, you, you, there's this one test, like a personality test, that's like your strengths inventory. And it talks about your top five strengths and your least top five strengths. It's not really, they don't call it weaknesses, but you're like, I'm very bad at self-control basically. And, but up at the very, very top is appreciation of beauty and gratitude. So like those are two things that I, I think I just, um, when I see something, I feel grateful for it if, if it's, but what I, the reason I'm telling you that is they've done tons of studies about that. Like if you write three things you're grateful for at the end of the day, for six months, you are like actually statistically happier by the end of that time. And so it's not something that I've always had to do consciously, but in my darker times, like when I am dealing with a lot of anxiety, I actually do that practice because I really think that there's always going to be darkness in the world and there's always going to be difficulties and tragedy in your own life too. I mean, at the, like in the same day, you know, I'm, you know, maybe I go to a place that's not accessible and that's frustrating. Right. So like there's, you're always going to be juggling good and bad stuff, but it's important to acknowledge the good stuff because it keeps your energy um, higher. Like, you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. um, totally. And I don't, I, I don't love, I, I like that you said that suppression is depression because I don't mean that we need to suppress or ignore the things that are bad, but just calling out the good things kind of allows you to see the world as a little more nuanced than like all terrible. Because it's not, you know, um, yeah. That, so if there's anything I can say, that's probably a big part of that is just recognizing when like the things that are good and just being grateful for them. Absolutely. Are you, did you ever meet Audrey, cousin Audrey Herrick? I don't think so. Okay. She was, I wonder, she was Denny's daughter, Denny and Sue's daughter. Did she pass away? She did pass away. Unfortunately. Oh no, no, I didn't. I don't think if I did meet her, I was very, very, very young because I don't have any memories. Gotcha. Yeah. Cause well, then uh, they lived out in Washington. So we, we didn't, okay. we did not get to see them very often. Okay. Uh, grandma adored Audrey, which uh -huh. she was a light in the world. And it was, I don't know all the details. Uh, so I might misspeak on some of the details, but she had some brain tumor issues and uh -huh. this was back in like 2013 or something like that it was, I think the first time that she was going through some of those hardships. Okay. And after the surgery, she was dealing with some seizures and light sensitivity and was having to, they're trying to get the right medication, uh, like, uh, dosages, mixtures to help 
with things. And she wrote a gratitude block, an online gratitude block. And I started reading that. And that was, she was doing that at around the time when I first started to get like some counseling and realize that I was carrying all my pain and hurt and insecurities around and needed to, needed to do something about it. And seeing her gratitude blog really helped me in the beginning of that journey realize that I needed to cultivate an attitude of gratitude because here she was going through all the things that she was going through and this gratitude blog, she did that to help keep her spirits high. And like some days the blog entry would be just real short. Uh, Today I'm grateful for this book so I can read and keep my mind off of you know, the hardships and other days it would be a long drawn out like entry, but she would write in it pretty much every day. And that gratitude blog was like my first exposure to like using gratitude in an intentional manner to like cultivate that as an attitude. And so like, that's that what made me think of that was, was that practice. And I, I love it. I think it is super powerful and you're right. Like they've done studies on it that like finding ways to be grateful. We always have that. We can look up at the, you can look up in the sky and see the sun. You can take a deep breath and feel the breath, fill your lungs and be grateful for that. Uh And there can still be a hardship that you face, but you can at least face the hardship with gratitude. Uh huh. Totally. Wow, that's beautiful. I didn't know if she did that. I mean, is that still online? Can you still read it? You know, I need to ask my mom that. So, mom, I know you're listening. Send me the link if you still have it. <laughs> I <laughs> yeah. I, lo- I went to look for it the other day and I didn't find it. And I probably was searching for the wrong thing and then got distracted. So I, I meant to, I probably should have messaged my mom at that point And I just forgot with getting busy. So I need to well, yeah. circle back on that. No, that's really powerful. I mean, so it's, but it's so true. You know, she, that's cool. I wonder how she came upon that idea to do it. You know, that's such a good idea. Yeah. She had mentioned it in the blog, but like why, what, or a lot of the um, inspiration behind it, but I I don't recall it specifically off the top of my head because it's been, you know, 10 years or so. Yeah. Jeez. Wow. That's powerful. Definitely. I mean, yeah, I think um, the gratitude practice and just the recognizing, because it goes deeper, like in like in some ways, I think it, it's a good starting point. Like what I'm trying to say is it's a good starting point for shifting your energy, right? Like the, the obvious things like your dog that just made you feel comforted or the outdoors or, you know, nature, but then it gets to a deeper realization, I think, like, even, I'm trying to explain, um, I'm a little tongue-tied, but the truth is, is that, so one day it dawned on me, so I wrote the song for the tiny desk, um, the one that, that won, I wrote that, Someday Will Linger in the Sun, after a surgery, that, that surgery, I, I told you, made me very anxious after all those things went wrong, um, and I wrote it about Paul because Paul and I were actually supposed to get married like six weeks after that surgery. And it was starting to look like, oh, my gosh, I hope I make it out of this situation. Right. I did, obviously. But like it was getting pretty scary. And he was there with me in the hospital the entire time. And like 
um, you know, slept next to the bed and just like, it was really special that he, I mean, it was just so good to have him there. And so I wrote Someday Will Linger in the Sun about that um, experience, but it was obviously very metaphorical and zoomed out, right? But I thought about that is that often we've, I mean, I think hardship is hard. So I'm not trying to say that it's not because it is. But a lot of times there are things that come out of hardship that that are good that wouldn't have come out otherwise. And so even though we talk about things like disability and mental health issues and and disease, and, and they are hard, so it's not that they're not hard, but they're valuable anyways because they get us to this other place where we're doing things that we wouldn't have done otherwise. And, and creating things like the art that I make is 100% wouldn't be in existence if I was a different person. Right. If I didn't have a disability, I wouldn't play the violin. I play it like, like on a wider lens. The practice of gratitude can allow us eventually to have gratitude for even the hard parts because they just take you to a different place. And if the world didn't have disability for example where people have to adapt and and like come to terms with their mortality if if we didn't have any of that input i think our society wouldn't be as deep or rich of a place it doesn't mean that i want people to go through hardship because that's not what i'm saying but acknowledging that hardship can be a source of eventual beauty is like kind of a big deal because it shifts like as much as I hate certain, like I I thought about this recently. Like as much as I get really frustrated by certain parts of life, like um, lack of access or my own, you know, oh I had that stupid fight with Paul again, like blah blah blah, whatever it is. Like, um, you don't know the outcome. Like you know, in the Bible, and I'm not particularly like I subscribe to one faith, but there's that verse about perseverance um, builds like basically perfection. I don't remember the exact, don't quote me. I should have looked this up before we got on the call, but there's a a verse about perseverance and how it builds endurance. And like, I just think that, that if we embraced in the same way that we be, we need to maybe embrace older aging as like a beautiful part of life. Like all of these things are valuable. It doesn't mean they're easy, but it does mean that they're, that they can create beauty in a way that we wouldn't have otherwise. So like her beautiful blog, I mean, like that helped you and she probably didn't, she wasn't doing it for you. Right. You know what I mean? Like, but it's cool. Cause it's like, wow, her legacy, your, her legacy is part of you now in a way, you yeah. know, because she was willing to look at the, the beauty in the world around her, even when things were hard. I think that's really cool. Um, yeah. So gratitude is, a seed that I think allows a lot of other things to grow out of it. I totally agree. A hundred percent. You said something in there about your music. And so I, I, I need to ask as well, lost in the woods. The first time I heard it, it resonated and hit me. And it was funny because the first time I heard it, it was when, you know, I started to look for music for the podcast and I oh, was yeah. looking around and doing this and that. And I don't remember exactly what, struck me or what the thought was. I think maybe Vanessa brought something up or it was her idea. I, I don't remember exactly, but I started thinking, Oh, that'd be cool to use some of Galen's music. 
as the intro. So I started listening through That's some fun. of your music. And the first time I listened to that song, it hit me and I cried and it spoke to me. And mm-hmm. I'm like, this is, this is the song. This is it. And so we, we chatted and we, we got, we got to that point where I got to use it. And so I, I'm so stoked about it. But obviously I have my kind of interpretation of what it, what it says to me. I'd like to hear your interpretation. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah. I didn't, I didn't think about that, that like we can't even talk about that. Um, <laughs> yeah, that, that song for me is about, um, like going through the journey of life and, and changing and, um, that you have to forgive yourself for past mistakes but when I say forgive yourself, but don't give yourself away, I do, I think it doesn't mean that like, oh, it doesn't matter what I do, or you know, or they they deserved it or whatever. Like like the idea that um, that we can be compassionate with ourselves and still try to hold this higher ideal of love, like not becoming cynical. I guess um, that's part of part of what I was thinking of in this song. It's sort of like the more you go down the journey of a musician. So I wrote it from the perspective of like my life as a musician. You don't want to give a, like, like you're giving people a lot of yourself when you perform, but you don't want to give them something that's not real. Like you're authentic. You still like, you could create an image of yourself and like promote that image of yourself. And maybe it would do Maybe it would be commercially viable for a while or whatever. But if you're not being authentic, eventually it's not worth it. You know what I mean? Like, um, so there was kind of a couple layers to that is like, it's important to forgive yourself, but not like give yourself a pass and say, it doesn't, you know, I can treat people however I want. Like, like being compassionate to yourself and to other people is part of what that song is about. But then also, yeah, as you go out into the world and you strive to make a mark is the mark authentic or not? You know what I mean. Yeah. And um, so it's it's kind of a two layered um, definition of that song, I guess. Yeah. Is that how did you take it? I want to know. <laughs> I'm curious. Man, I suppose like the first part, you know, like when you're you're lost in the woods and you're misunderstood. I, a, as a kid, when I was at my worst, I just I felt completely unseen and unheard. And I felt lost, you know, especially when I was suicidal, like I wanted it to stop and I didn't feel like anybody was listening to me or hearing me. Yeah, And I also didn't know how to say what was going on in me. All I knew Mm -hmm. was I didn't feel like I had safe space to, to talk about it. And like, I know that I know now that I did, like I could have talked to my parents Mm -hmm. and especially my mom would have helped and supported me. But there was something for me like that I was lost, that I didn't have that voice. Uh-huh. And then as well, like, you know, where's your heart? Where's your heart today? And forgive yourself, but don't forget, give yourself away. I mean, for so many years, that's what I did. I gave myself away. I didn't, I didn't know who I was. I, I wasn't authentic. I just had this like striving unconscious need to be accepted by other people. And so Uh I would do what I think would gain me acceptance. And 
at the cost of my own authenticity, at the cost of myself, would try yeah. and appease to people and win them over. And, uh, you know, I was struggled in it for a long time in the, in the friend zone and, and Mr. Nice Guy and realizing that all that was, was a lack of my own authenticity and a lack of connection with myself. And I need to yeah. let go of the shame and guilt that I felt from my childhood because I also yeah. carried around a lot of shame and guilt for having even been suicidal. Oh, and yeah. Because all the stigmas around it. And that's what kept me silent for decades. Yeah. So going through a lot of that and like that was a lot of the stuff that came up in my head when I first listened to it. And so it was definitely really overwhelming. And I mean, there's still times when I'll listen to it and not, it'll, it'll hit me. Oh, well, that that's what I love about music is that the artist has ideas. I mean, because I feel that that feeling of like, you're you're as an artist you're trying to kind of fit some kind of mold or like you know I, I don't know there's or like or not honoring your own gut you know what I mean like there's so many things like but then to have the cool thing about music is then other people can hear it and it hits them in a way because it I, it resonates with their life in a way that I wouldn't know you know like I mean like I I'm only myself, so I write it as myself. But music is more universal than that, I think. So, like, that's really cool to hear that that's what that took, where that took you. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. Just like the back to your reference of art earlier in the, in the recording and beauty is in the eye of the beholder. Mm-hmm. So, however you want to twist it around to music is in the ear of the beholder. <laughs> It is, and it's like you're. It's through the lens. You see all music through a certain lens, and I think that's why some stuff resonates with people in different ways as you're viewing it through your own lens of experience. But it's cool. I mean, I love that. I think that's really neat. And I was honored that you asked because it's. I think it's so cool that you're doing this, um, this podcast, and like kind of reaching people who might not otherwise um, like tune into a mental health podcast. And, right. I think it's really, really cool. I, think it's awesome. I appreciate it. It's been a, a really yeah. fun, it's been a really fun journey. I've had a lot of really cool conversations, connected with people, had conversations that I wouldn't have had otherwise. And mm-hmm. I've, they've added value to my life. And I, I definitely hope that they add value to the life of those that get a chance to listen. Yeah, I'm sure they do. I'm sure they yeah. do. We interrupt this show with a brief message. This podcast was created with a strong sense of belonging. A strong sense of belonging is imperative to cultivating a life of joy, fulfillment, and purpose. With a strong sense of belonging, you will have the confidence it takes to do and create life on your terms. It is time for you to break free from your self-limiting thoughts, your insecure thought patterns, and the social conditioning that keeps you from living your most authentic life. The Belonging Blueprint is a self-development course that has been designed to help you create the deepest sense of belonging within yourself. I'll be with you, guiding you along the way as you grow to a place that leaves you empowered to experience life on your terms. You can join me and others in a private community that will support you on your journey of personal growth and development. To get more information and enroll today, you can click the link in the show notes or message me directly. Now back to the show. Yeah. And so being mindful of your time too, Galen, let's, uh, I want to, I like to end on a go-to self-care tool today and what do you what do you do to keep your 
your groundedness, your good spirit. Obviously, you mentioned you do a lot of the gratitude stuff, but do you have any other like go-to self-care tools that you do on a regular basis that really help keep you in a state of good mental well-being? Yeah. Um, yes. I think probably the biggest thing is what you consume. So like in the morning, almost always, I I plot out kind of my day. Like I have a little time in the morning that I, well, or early afternoon, depending on my schedule. But like, you know, I sit there and kind of plot out my day. And then I have um, a few devotionals. They're not all like one of them is like a Buddhist devotional. One of them is like a Quaker writer, a Christian writer, like a different, different face, basically ones that resonate with mm-hmm. me. Um, and I read a few of them and, and if I'm inspired to, I take notes on them and, or I just read them. And then, um, it kind of sets your mind after you've kind of said, this is what I want to do today. It kind of, again, allows you to see the day through a lens that's a little bit more elevated. Um, you know, cause everything we do, has I believe I mean I don't know what happens when you die exactly but I do believe there's more going on than like what we understand how about that so like I I, you know I that's all I can say with any certainty is I just don't just can't imagine that we'll ever really figure out everything and so this mystery of how we can impact each other and the world um, if you go about your actions mindfully um, it just changes the way the day unfolds. So I try to do that. And then, um, as I said, I listen to that Brendan Burchard guy while I exercise. And those, those are probably the the main self-care things. And on the days when I do those things, I do just feel like my energy is better. You know, there's sometimes where you skip it, but when you skip it for too long, that's when I know something's out of balance. And so, um, uh, yeah, I can't. I can't emphasize enough, like how how much what you put in affects how you process the day. And so, um, just making a point to to put something in there that takes you outside of your one self and kind of the universal. Like I really think all experience is best viewed through the universal. Like how what is it like to be a human, right? Like here we are. You could even zoom out. What is it like to be a part of the solar system? But just having a wider lens than like, oh, I'm really annoyed at blah, 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 you know, um, and leaving it at that. Yeah. We get annoyed, right? But like taking it and and recognizing that we're just one person out of like, you know, billions of people yeah. and how can we serve in a bigger way? Um, I don't know. It helps. Yeah. So. That's what I recommend personally. No, I like it. I like it a lot. It sounds like a lot of it, the way I, the way I kind of like hear it and interpret it is it, it sets the stage for you to like contribute to increasing the well-being of your, not only your experience, but the experience of other people who interact with you throughout the day. Yeah. Like I always think of there's this balance in the world, Right of like light and dark and good and evil. And I think it feels sometimes like the darkness is threatening to overcome the light, right? Like there's so much bad news. And I think we, it's our responsibility kind of to, to keep the scales more level by, by doing what we can. And if we chose not to do those things, um, it's not like out of fear, but just out of like a practical sense of like something you can do 
to keep the world going, you know, you know, is to be, to recognize that you have a part in it, you know, and, and, uh, the spiritual side of that is what can you do to be more loving? Basically. I think all of this, all of this boils down to like, how do you learn how to love other people and yourself, uh, more authentically and better and more openly. Right. Um, and so all of the things that we're going through to point at that being the main goal. So like whether or not any of us gets like acclaimed or whatever, or like recognized for it, you don't even need that. It literally is just like that journey towards being able to love more authentically and more openly. And, and that can be done by anyone. And so, but you need encouragement along the way. And that's where those devotionals and, that Brendan Burchard stuff comes in is it's just like on your own. Sometimes it gets really heavy um, or counseling, any of those things um, to keep you going forward, I think is important. Yeah, no, I definitely, I definitely agree. Super fantastic stuff. Galen, thank you so much for joining me today. I really appreciated having this conversation with you. I could definitely go on for a long time with it, but I want to be mindful <laughs> of your time. And I just, I, I thank you uh-huh. for, for everything you brought to me and, and the world today. Oh, thank you so much, Russ. Thanks for what you do. This is awesome. Thanks for joining Project Unchained today. It's important to note that I'm not a doctor nor a licensed therapist. I'm just a guy who is passionate about helping empower others to break free from their limiting thoughts and beliefs to have extraordinary life experiences. Please be sure to subscribe to the podcast and leave a review. That will ensure that this podcast can reach more people. We're more powerful together, so please do share this with others. I'm always happy to engage with you, so please do reach out via social media or email if you'd like to chat. A special thank you to my very talented cousin, Galen Lee, for the intro and outro music to this show. The song is Lost in the Woods from her 2018 album, Learning How to Stay. You can find Galen's albums on Bandcamp, Spotify, and ViolinScratches.com. Until next time, make your life experience extraordinary. Let's get unchained. Give yourself away.